0: Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we talked all about social language and pragmatic goals, which we loved that episode. Um, like we mentioned on that episode, we'll definitely dive a little bit deeper into some of those areas that we talked about, but we have a fun new episode for you guys this week.
1: Yes, we're so excited to do our second Q&A, question and answer episode with you guys. We've been planning it for a couple of weeks now, so we appreciate you guys sending in any questions that you have for us so that you guys can kind of lead the discussion that we have today. So we will dive right into our first from Ashlyn on Instagram. She asked for students who graduate undergrad in the fall what advice would you give to do during the spring and summer before starting grad school the following fall? So a year from now. Um, And Rachel, I know you kind of relate to this, so I'll let you start with this.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I took a gap year in between my undergrad at Central Michigan University and then my graduate experience at University of Toledo. And I decided for that year that I would kind of immerse myself with as many children experiences as I could, because I always knew that I wanted to work with kids. And I actually ended up getting a preschool job. I was a preschool teacher for four-year-olds, which was amazing. They are so fun. I feel like that's such an awesome age. Um, And they I feel like at that age, they have like an explosion of language and they find things so interesting and things like that. So that's what I decided to do um, during that time. Now, if you're not interested in working with kids, there are always experiences where you can either work or volunteer at a nursing home or a hospital, um, a private practice you could probably observe and things like that. So that's probably what I would recommend for that time.
1: Yeah, I think it's such a good idea to just get exposure in whatever you can. Um, Because like Rachel said, you know, even if you're not, even if you're not super interested in one area, you're going to be learning about it. So Mm -hmm. um, just getting as much exposure as you can anywhere. I also think that getting some observations would be really helpful too, especially over telepractice. I know I've actually, I'm seeing private clients. Um, and I've actually had a student that observed me, which I thought was really great that she took that initiative because she already had her observation hours, but she wanted to see how telepractice worked because she observed in real, in a real person or in-person setting. Um, and I think that's really great because telepractice, I don't think is going away, at least not anytime soon. Um, I think that, you know, we'll start to be more in person, but I think there are clinics out There that will give that option of telepractice. So you might find yourself in a position of administering therapy over telepractice because it has worked well for a lot of places. So, um, especially now, I feel like if you haven't observed a telepractice session, it would be really good to do so.
0: That's a good point. I feel like that's a really good skill to kind of hone in on because I feel like we were all kind of as a whole thrown into it and like to figure it out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You don't want to be in that position. (laughs) Yeah. So that would be a good skill to have to even going into grad school would be great. Um, So the next question that we had came from Jess on Instagram and she asked how to best implement sensory supports without the sensory element becoming a complete distraction. And this is something I can definitely relate to. Um, I've used different fidgets and stuff. And sometimes it kind of takes over and dominates your session. And then we're not getting done, you know, our speech and language goals. Um, So Claire, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I agree. I feel like there's no perfect answer to this because I think no matter what, you are going to bring a sensory element into the room and it is going to backfire and it is going to ruin your session. And it just happens. It's happened to all of us because sometimes we don't know our kids' sensory needs yet, especially if they haven't been evaluated by OT or if maybe they don't qualify for OT, they just have some mild sensory things that we need to incorporate. It might be a trial and error thing. Um, The biggest thing that I feel like implementing without making it a big distraction though, is doing something motor and doing something movement based. So getting up, like having a sensory break, an actual break where for two, five minutes you are dancing or you're doing Simon says, or you're stretching or whatever it is. I feel like those motor movements are more easily um, controlled, then you're not actually giving them something that they can play with and distract themselves with. You're doing something with them over telepractice. Obviously it's a little bit harder to control, but hopefully their parents are there to kind of bring them back once the dancing is all done. Um, Some kids though, you really have to be careful and you'll, you would hear this on our sensory processing disorder um, episode. Some kids are seekers in a way of, they, they can't have that much um, they can't have that much sensory. It's going to overload them. So, you really have to be careful on what types of sensories you're implementing. If the sensory element is too much, maybe that's the problem. Maybe they don't need something that's getting the wiggles out. Maybe they need something more relaxing and maybe they need some deep pressure. Maybe they need something more internal um, that's going to get their sensory needs met, if that makes sense. Um, I just think it really depends on the person and it. It really is a trial and error, but I hope those were some helpful ideas for you, Jess.
0: And that's a really good episode to listen to if you guys haven't either, because it's explained where um, like everyone has a bucket and either your bucket's too full and we're still trying to add to it. And that's very overwhelming Mm -hmm. or your bucket isn't full enough. So that's where you get those like extreme sensory seeking behaviors where kids like run and slide onto the floor to feel that kind of like deep pressure input. So I would listen to that too, but there is definitely no one size fits all for that situation.
1: Yeah, for sure. And if you find something that works, stick with it. That's what I found too, is you don't have to have something different every time. If it works, stick with it. Kids are creatures of habit and they will like it and they will do it and just stick with what they know, especially if they respond well to it um, for those sensory activities. So our next question comes from Mary on Instagram and she asked us about narrative-based intervention, which Mary, I gotta tell you, you really made us look <laughs> a little bit here because we um, we feel like, Rachel and I were talking before this and we feel like we implement a lot of these aspects of this type of intervention into our therapy. However, we weren't as familiar with the research behind narrative-based intervention. So props to you, because you made us look a little bit and research Mm -hmm. it a little bit. And um, it is really interesting. I think the biggest thing that I found that I thought Was something I didn't know was um, based on the research, narrative based intervention is split into two categories macro structure and microstructure. So, macro structure is really um, story elements. So, you might already kind of do this when you're reading a story. So, you're talking about the setting, you're talking about the events, the responses to the events. So, the characters in the story say it's about a boy that lost his dog. And that's what you're reading on the page. And you say, Oh, how does this boy feel? Even though it doesn't say that on the page, you are narrating it in a way and relating it to the emotions of that child. Um, the macro structure also looks at the plan. So like, what do you think is going to happen next? The consequences of then what happens, um, more more basically looking at more than what it's just explicitly saying and the reactions of the characters and character development. Um, And I feel like we think about these story elements from a very mature standpoint of reading like from your book clubs and all of that, Mm -hmm. but we can really put this down to a child level where we can really have them think about the story and the characters and um, all that development that happens even for a younger child and a younger book. And then Macro structure looks at the number of words and like the different types of words. So that's like really being nitpicky about the vocabulary and then also the structure of sentences. So making sure that you're, um, kind of, you're introducing all these different types of syntax to them, um, and what the story and what the story is talking about. So that's kind of the great thing that I found. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I just, I feel like when I was looking, I found Mostly that it's really these concepts of who, what, when, where, why, like what is happening in the story beyond what is actually being typed in the text. Mm-hmm. And I so think we do that.
0: I feel like those are those um like higher level thinking mm-hmm. questions and prompts with like the how and why questions or even inferencing or inferring how a character is feeling and things like that. I know. I have to be honest. I feel like in the schools, this is hard, and especially with K five, I feel like I don't really ever get to this point with my students because, you know, when you think of questions, like first we're starting with simple yes or no questions, then we we move on to wh questions about familiar topics, and then typically I'll do wh questions following like a short uh, paragraph level um, instructional level story read aloud and, you know, we'll answer some comprehension questions, but it's harder. I feel like I only get to the like deeper level, um, thinking and questioning concepts with my fifth graders. Um, Mm -hmm. because I feel like sometimes with my younger students, we're still focusing on, um, like the building blocks, if that makes sense. But one thing that I do, um, when I'm reading through a story, especially with group therapy, because you can right away see that if, You know, Sandy was pink. She got four um, what questions, but those where and why questions, those higher level thinking questions, those were really hard for her. Um, So that's what a good way to
1: organize. That's so such a genius way to organize it for groups because I'll. Well, I st- yeah,
0: so I started with all the same color post it, <laughs> and then at the end, I looked and I was like, okay, so I think <laughs> Joey said that, and I think, and then I was like, oh my gosh, it's not working. Yeah, so, um, something as simple as that I found really helpful, but I think this is something that we could probably dive into even more. And Mary, if you're listening, I'm curious, you can DM us or comment on one of our posts. If this is something that you use, or if it's something that, you know, you're kind of diving into or kind of how it came about, because like I said, or like Claire said, we don't really have a ton of experience with narrative-based intervention as a whole.
1: Yeah. And like Rachel said, I feel like we could possibly lead this into a whole episode Mm -hmm. um, because I found a lot when I was looking also on book companions, how a lot of SLPs out there make these book companions for popular books. And it helps you go through these questions or how to elaborate on something or how to pretty much put that narrative-based intervention into a book that you already have. Um, And that could be a whole episode in itself is book companions, but I would definitely look up those, um, there's some, uh, there's some free ones on teachers pay teachers, and there's a lot out there that you could definitely, if you are getting started with that type of intervention, um, just use it and see how it goes. And, um, because I feel like actually doing it helps mm-hmm. you learn more than just reading articles upon articles, um, and just kind of, especially putting that book companion that somebody has already tried into place. Mm-hmm
0: for sure so we will add book companions to our list. our list yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah um so the next thing on
0: our list is from Emily on Instagram and she said that she has some kids with severe apraxia and she's looking for new ideas for goals and treatment approaches and this is something I do not have a lot of experience with i know Claire definitely has more experience i've only had one student with apraxia and it was like my first year. I think I was in my CF. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Cause I can definitely learn in this area.
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you though, I, when I first started having kids on my caseload with apraxia was when I worked in outpatient. So two years ago and then for the last two years, um, while I was there, but I pretty much, I used a lot of just multi-syllable words. So like mm-hmm. two syllable, three syllables. I used a lot of the Kaufman cards. If you've ever seen those, they transition really well from CV, VC, CV, CV. Um, and if, for those of you that might not be SLPs listening, that's consonant, vowel, vowel, consonant, consonant, vowel, consonant. Um, so those transitions of different types of sounds within each other and building the motor plans for those. And it's a lot of drill-based, a lot of, um, again, just repeating of these words to get that motor plan. But then when I entered my newest job in July, this past July, another speech pathologist introduced me to REST, R-E-S-T, REST. It stands for Rapid Syllable Transition. And it is a treatment for childhood apraxia of speech. It was developed in Sydney, Australia. um, And it's relatively new. I think that the manual is like 2016, 2018, something like that. So it's very new. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically, it's a 12 week program, 12 week intensive program for kids with apraxia. Um, You do have to have the ability to see them a lot to be able to really implement it effectively. Um, Already the treatment for kids with apraxia is recommended at like at least two times a week, but this actually recommends three times a week for 12 weeks. So I had the opportunity to work with a client that was able to be seen that much. So I did this, this program with her and it was insane. You guys, I tell you what, I didn't even really, I wasn't a total believer in it because essentially you're just saying a combination of nonsense words. You pick four consonants and four vowels that they already have in their repertoire and you combine them, you mesh them. So you're, let's say they're at the two syllable. You say pa-ta, ta-da. Puh, po, day. This is Mm so, I'm doing it on the fly. But you basically combine, yeah, you combine, again, all these sounds, you pick eight that they have in their repertoire, four consonants and four vowels, and you essentially just go and you have them repeat the same words over and over and over again. And you're looking for um, three parts. You're looking for their sounds. So do they have those sounds and are they correct? You're looking for smoothness. So are they saying puh, da or are they saying puda? so you want their their um, sounds to flow which is also huge in apraxia because um i'm sure you guys have learned clapping out syllables does not work for kids with apraxia you have to be able to connect the sounds um same thing with drilling water. That's not how we say water. We say Mm -hmm. water. So you want to actually say it the way that you want them to learn it because they're learning the motor plans. They're not learning the specific sounds. It's the motor plans that we're working on. Um, so anyway, sorry, uh, sounds smoothness and then beats, which is the stress on the different syllables. So do they have the beats, and do they have the stress on? So if you're saying pata, do they have the long versus short vowel, um, kind of that prosody component to it. So again, it's pretty, intensive, but it works. And I could talk about it all day long. I'm actually, I started implementing it with two of my other kids on my caseload because I, it was just crazy how much it worked. Um, Also part of it is after the 12 weeks, you're supposed to take like a six week break um, to like let the skills simmer pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did that. We actually only took a three week break though, just because we wanted to keep going. Um, and our client maintained skills like perfectly. It was, it's just crazy. Um, so again, it's really focusing on that motor planning. And I think that's kind of what we have to get into as far as apraxia therapy is getting away from, okay, it's all about the sounds and the words that they're saying. Okay. Yes. But we also have to really work on the motor plan and the way that the sounds are connected to one another and the way that they are being produced because that's really where it falls apart, um, and that's why it's so hard. I know Jenny Bajorum. Bajorum, yeah. Bajorum. She has a lot of really good resources on her website. Her cards are excellent. Um, they give you a really good visual for sounds, and some of her videos are awesome too. You'll see her do similar things to rest um, with connecting the sounds, especially the smoothness and making sure that you're not just tapping out the sounds and speaking in a way that you wouldn't want them to speak. Um, and then the last thing I'll say on this is the DTTC hierarchy, which is dynamic tactile, oh crap, mm-hmm. dynamic and temporal tactile cueing hierarchy, mm-hmm. something like that, <laughs> but essentially it's a, cue, it's a cueing hierarchy and it starts with um, saying it with the client, so you're you're basically chanting it together. Then you fade to just having them repeat the word. Then you have it um, where they answer the question. I'm missing some in there, but essentially it's a prompting hierarchy, mm-hmm. um, DTTC hierarchy, and again it's it's going through you're basically fading the amount of prompts you're giving them so that they'll get to independence. Um, and we do that a lot even with articulation therapy, but it's it's really good for apraxia as well to start with loads of prompting and then be really intentional on how you fade those prompts.
0: I'm curious for rest, because um, like I'm assuming you have to buy the program. Or- no, it's free. No. The manual is literally
1: <gasps> free online.
0: Yeah. I was just going to ask like yeah. what was included because I... I've talked about how, um, I'm a co-department head in my, uh, school district. And I feel like that would be so helpful because I know,
1: (gasps) wow, it's free. The only, the only thing you would ever have to pay for is if you want a system to like shuffle your words, Mm -hmm. um, for me are my students working with this client, just shuffled them through, um. Excel. Like they just did like a randomized system. So you can just do it that way. If you want a computer system, they, in the manual, they do recommend using some sort of computer system, but I don't really think it's completely necessary unless you're getting to levels um, maybe if you're getting to higher levels, cause you would start at two syllable, obviously then move to three syllables. And eventually they even want you to put it in a, in a carrier phrase. So you would say like, I see Pata, even though it's not a real word, you're supposed right. to like put it in a sentence. So you eventually get to that point, but my mind is blown right now. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. I'm a huge proponent. They also have a podcast. If you want to listen to. Um, them talk about it. They have some really interesting insight and can explain it a little probably way better than I just did because that was all just kind of a jumble. And I'm still learning it too guys. I haven't I haven't used it. I'm in no ways an expert. I haven't used it a ton, but I really enjoy it. so. I've never thought I would wish for a child on my case with
0: apraxia, but I'm kind of like, hmm, who could I use that with? Yeah.
1: It's just very interesting wow. for sure. But if you have any other questions about that, especially on rest, um, go ahead and message us. Cause I'd love to, or I'd love to give you the link again. It is free. If you just type in rest apraxia into your Google search engine and it'll come up, you'll find all the free stuff on it. Love so, that. Our next question is, I think it comes. Oh, it comes from my students. Okay. It's what's the difference between stuttering modification and fluency shaping? So this is a question that, um, I have a lot of fluency kids on my caseload right now. And, Um, I have grad students working with majority of them. And so I'm always, I feel like a question that I'm, I get a lot is what's the difference between stuttering modification and fluency shaping. And really the only difference is that stuttering modification is you are, you, it has to do with, oh my gosh, it's so hard to explain. It's a fine line. It's hard. It's a fine line. I thought I was going to be ready to explain this. <laughs> and now I've like word salad. Um. Okay. Fluency shaping is strategies. So you are giving them strategies to be fluent, fluency shaping. So that has to do with easy onsets, continuous phonation, um, slow rate of speech, stretchy speech, whatever you're calling it, um, light contact. All of those are fluency shaping because you are shaping them to be fluent. Stuttering modification is changing the way that they stutter. So you aren't necessarily giving them something to hide their stutter or to fix it, you're giving them a way to better control it. So these would include things like pullouts or cancellations, um, where they still will have that stuttering moment, but they will be able to gain control of it and get through the rest of that moment. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it
0: did. (laughs) That helped. I know one example, um, that we used frequently in grad school was, like when you, I'm trying to think of a sound, if you're stuck on like a B in a block, trying to like bounce out of it instead yes. of like, mm-hmm. and nothing's coming out, like, buh, buh,
1: buh, that mm-hmm. would be, um, stuttering modification. modification, right? Exactly. Yeah. So basically with stuttering modification, you're not, you're not, not stuttering, you're still stuttering, but you're just changing it. And then with fluency shaping, you're aiming to be fluent and not have that moment of disfluency. Um, I personally use both because I think it's important to have the strategies, but I also think it's important to be okay with stuttering. So for
0: sure. Um, The next question that we had also came from Claire's students and they were looking for um, some strategies for velar sounds like K's and G's.
1: And Rachel, I want to hear what you have to say because I'm looking for that as well. Cause I have some kids right now that. Are real sticklers for these gays and g's. And it's mm-hmm. been really hard, especially over telepractice, to get these sounds. So I will say, one of the, the best things that
0: I've had uh, my greatest success with are those like dum dum suckers and being yeah. able to push the tongue back because, you know, that's a huge part of these velar sounds, obviously, with the, the making sure the tongue is back and mm-hmm. elevated. And I, I've used tongue depressors before. No one really likes that. I right. mean, I have like the um, weird flavored ones from super. <laughs> they're not great. I've I heard mean, they're
1: awful. I'm so, sorry yeah. <laughs> to say super duper. We love you, but like, I've heard they're not, they're like great. sour. Yeah.
0: They're gross. Um, so <laughs> I use like Dum dumb suckers that does really well. Uh, I've even like we've laid on the floor right when it's not COVID and we're not Mm -hmm. worried about germs everywhere laying on the floor and looking up and practicing on those sounds those are probably the two things I've had the the most success with I usually I usually can kick K and G pretty quickly and I usually only see it in my kindergarten students Mm -hmm. and we can kind of like nip it in the bud as quickly as possible. I'm
1: jealous. I have two right now that I am struggling with. Although I just saw a, um, I think I might've been on Pinterest or something, but it's the aspiration trick. So you you get the k Mm -hmm. like you match your h sound with the sound because they both come from the same space Mm -hmm. and it's almost like they don't have time to get their tongue up for that t so i think i'm gonna try that feel like you kind of find those yeah but that's a fun way to do it and kids like doing Mm -hmm. that that's way more fun than yeah exactly everyone's motivated by food (laughs) right for sure um, the next question is actually mine and it's a, can you tell that articulation is not my forte? <laughs> I love, I love all aspects of our profession, but I will say speech sounds sometimes just get me because I'm, I'm, ai am just quick with things. And sometimes mm-hmm. kids are, are just very stubborn with their sounds. And it's, it's especially been a challenge for me to adapt to telepractice and sounds because I am so hands-on, um, And so it's just, it's been a, it's been a a (laughs) last couple, six months, however long it's been trying to get these speech sounds in therapy. So Rachel, let me know your strategies for F because I struggle with it lately. So
0: I'm bringing it back to food and the, Um, (laughs) the, the thing I've had the most success with. So if, are you talking like F even in isolation? Yes. Okay. Yep. (laughs) So. In grad school, okay, so this is a side note. Claire and I went to grad school together, if you guys didn't know that. And we, our articulation class, which I feel like is the one class that should be in person, was online. And I hated that, but we had to, yeah. And we had to meet in um, smaller groups for projects and then we would film ourselves and make like this little video and send it in. Well, one of our fellow grad students was having the same issue. And I think she had a client at the time in the clinic. So this was like very applicable to her with Fs and what she did and I've had great success with it is she took a Smartie, right? Like those little rolls of Smarties, put it in between her teeth and her lips and then had the student blow because when it's stuck there, right? Like you're thinking about holding that little piece of like flat candy in your mouth. Yeah. It's like the perfect setup for the F sound.
1: Interesting. So she's,
0: I know. Again,
1: everyone's motivated the, by food. Well, and that's so much easier because I, so I've tried the peanut butter mm-hmm. on the lip, but this will, this get like stuck. Well, sh- they, I'm almost identifying, they will just grab it with their lip. So they'll go mm-hmm. like, like that with their lips. So there's no, there's no teeth to lip contact at all. So, so that's try a the, really good yeah, idea. Try I the Smarty that. because the other thing with that
0: is I'm trying to think of like another candy or something you could do with it. And really I feel like the smarty works so well because it's flat, flat and, and thin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's little. Um, but I've had really good success with that. And then, you know, once you're consistently getting those sounds, you obviously have to fade the smartie. But mm-hmm. once they have it in isolation by themselves, it's so much easier to add on, you know, vowel sounds after that, and right. then more into words. And even say like, oh,
1: pretend you're holding your smartie. Like mm-hmm. after they get used to that feeling of where their teeth are, because that's the problem is because I can't touch this client through the mm-hmm. screen to like touch where their it needs to be it's just yeah it's difficult but um parents are are helpful but it's just it's not the same you know mm-hmm. for sure um our next question actually <laughs> <from>, i <I'm> excited <laughs> about this came from my fiance alex um he texted me like a week ago about the communication boards that we talked about in the hospital um and just kind of asking me like well for his actual question was what is it called and i was like communication board. Yeah. What do you He's like, no, what's like the name for it. He wanted like a scientific name. And I'm like, I mean, an AAC, I guess like it's an alternative or, which is
0: such a doctor thing, by the way, right? like wanting I know. a name, and, I yeah.
1: know needing to have a name to it, but, um, essentially it is, it's a, it's a form of alternative or augmentative communication, communication. Um, but I just wanted to touch a little bit more on what it actually looked like, especially if you want to start that, if there's some of you working in hospitals out there that don't have something like that in yours, um, I think it would be really beneficial to start. So ours was just a laminated piece of paper. Um, it was a little bit bigger than like your standard size. Um, but it wasn't so big that you couldn't just set it on their bedside table. Um, and it had two sides. One side was a little bit more basic with just the alphabet, the days of the week, the months of the year, um, a clock and maybe numbers. So just being, so they could spell stuff. Oh, and yes, no was on that too. Um, they could spell stuff. They could quickly say yes, no, they could say what time it was, what day of the week it was, et cetera. Um, and then on the other side was basic health and hygiene and needs. So there were a couple things about like turning the TV volume up and um, up or down. There were things about having to go to the bathroom about something that hurt and where it hurts. So then there were different body parts. Um, and I know this sounds like a lot, but it really didn't look overwhelming because it was, it was organized in a way where like each block was different, um, and in a different section kind of, I guess, um, And if you need more help with setting something like that up, let me know, because I don't have a, I don't have a copy of the specific one, but I've been kind of looking at, I was trying to find a different one that I could link for you guys. So to just give you guys an idea. um, So if I find that I will let you know, or I'll just kind of talk you through it a little bit more, but I highly suggest that even for people that you might evaluate who are cognitively there, but maybe they even, even with just slurred speech post-stroke mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they know everything, but they're really having, they're tired, they're weak, they hurt those communication boards are so helpful because they're so convenient. And sometimes it's a lot for them to be able to communicate just that something hurts because they're in so much pain and just Mm -hmm. being able to point to something is, can make a world of a difference. And it especially helps their quality of life because, you know, feeling helpless in the hospital and then not being able to communicate is awful. So, um, I would highly recommend looking into that a little more.
0: Ours had pain level on it too, because I
1: feel yes. like that's something doctors frequently ask or nurses. One to 10 use, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So. Um, yeah. Uh, also,
0: that just made me think when I was in my internship um, in a uh, level one acute trauma hospital, we had a patient who was Spanish speaking only oh. and- they i'm trying to remember god this so long ago i think they were like recommended for a, a cognition evaluation or something like that because they there was some sort of trauma to the head mm-hmm. and they had the hospital had this thing where it was like i, I sound so amazed right now because I kind of am it was like a tablet and you selected the language. And when you selected the language, it called an interpreter that was like sitting in, I don't know, like a satellite office that would talk to the patient. And then the patient talks to them. And then they said what the patient said in English.
1: And I felt like my mind was being blown the whole time. It's insane. They had that at our hospital too. And I remember when they started that, cause it used to be that someone was hired and you would mm-hmm. have to like bring them into the room. But right before I was about to leave, they started doing that system where you would call in on this iPad. And I'm like, what? I <laughs> know. Crazy. So the only thing with that is it's hard. I
0: mean, you like obviously call the validity into question because you don't know um, if the translators like queuing right. or things
1: like that. But uh, anyways, the point being, I thought it was
0: a really wonderful resource. Um for those who don't speak English.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, we started that too at the outpatient clinic. So for our kids that were bilingual where their parents didn't speak English, it was a really good option to have um, for them to be able to communicate a little better with the families. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure in most places, it's like a law that you have to be able to, mm-hmm to communicate somehow, even if they do speak a different language. Like you have to figure out some sort of translator, whether yeah. it be a person or a computer. Like you have to do something.
0: The wonderful thing about that too is I don't know exactly how many languages were on there, but like a ton versus yeah. if you had an interpreter in the just hospital. One thing. Yeah. Right. For
1: sure. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So the last thing that we have came from one of my coworkers. So this is how we're going to end it. Kind of fun. She wants to know six of our favorite things. So the first is favorite holiday. This Ooh, is going to be like,
1: this is going to be like rapid fire, isn't it? Okay. I know. Oh, I, I honestly didn't think of these beforehand. So I have to say Christmas. I feel I like I have to, but I've been really into Halloween the last couple of years, I love like Halloween. passing out passing out candy. Is so fun. I know. I'm also a big
0: fan of 4th of July Yeah. because of like, it's the summer and nice weather and stuff like that. But I think as a whole, I have to go Christmas. Yeah, me
1: too. I right? agree. <laughs> okay.
0: Favorite food.
1: Pizza, <laughs> but it makes my stomach hurt. <laughs> Ugh. Actually, you know what? I am going to change my mind. I think sushi.
0: I for sure thought you were going
1: to say sushi. Yeah. I should have thought of that first.
0: Yeah. Uh, mine is like any Chinese food or hibachi. Ooh, big fan of I hibachi. I thought you were going to say
1: hibachi yeah. first
0: because you love hibachi. That's like uh, my one true love. Okay. Favorite movie. I'm, I'm <laughs> such a dork, Shrek, and I'm sticking with it. Claire, <laughs> I watched Shrek yesterday <gasps> with Henry. Did he love it? He loved it. So today oh. we watched Shrek Two, oh. which is also a very good movie. It's very underrated. Yeah,
1: it is. Well, there's like four of them actually. Yeah. There's a Shrek Three, and then there's I got I got the whole gift <laughs> pack for Christmas one, <laughs> like two years ago. Yeah, I'm a child. It's fine, but I do I love that movie. I'm I'm a sucker for the cartoons too. I just think they're so cute.
0: Um, side note: Claire and I lived together during grad school. If you
1: guys didn't know that
0: already, and I watched her. Uh, like reenact or I don't know do herself the whole ending scene of Shrek where it's like <laughs> the, the karaoke sing-along. dance yeah. party <laughs> oh my gosh I'm crying I wish people could see us right now okay oh my gosh the so next funny. is
1: favorite hobby um oh my gosh why am I blanking um you I
0: would usually say traveling Yeah. Love to travel. Uh, This year, though, has been a little light on travel, which is so sad. We had so many trips planned. So I think I'm going to go like baking, right? We all like
1: to bake. You, yeah, I was going to say, you love love to bake. bake. Um, I'm going to say hiking lately, just because I live somewhere where I can hike. So I feel like we're hiking every weekend, sometimes twice a weekend, just because. We came wow. from Ohio, which had no hiking. Uh-huh. And now we're in Virginia, which has so much. All of so, Yeah. Lately, my hobby changes, but I'll say that's my favorite hobby. I know. Right
0: now. Uh, I have a lot. That's hard. Yeah. Okay. Favorite season of the year?
1: Fall, for sure. Basic, but fall.
0: So, it's hard, right? Like no one <laughs> picks winter. I mean, if you do pick I winter, I see you, but uh, I don't <laughs> pick winter. I guess I'd pick summer.
1: Really? No, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make you question yourself. (laughs)
0: No, listen. I pick like June and July and my birthday is August 6th. So I'll claim the first week of August too. But the rest of August is hot. Hot. Yep. Hot and miserable. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last one is favorite binge worthy show. Such a good one. I have so many guys. I was just going to say, Mm -hmm. I have,
1: I'm, I'm just going to say three because I have to three. Okay. Just three. That's it though. Okay. (laughs) Favorite, um, binge worthy show that I just like put on in the background is new girl. I love it. It makes me laugh no matter how many times I have seen it. That's so good. I've seen good. it many times. It's so good. And it's just so like, you feel good, mm-hmm. right? You feel good watching it. Yeah. Um, One that you have to be engrossed in is Dexter. I love oh, Dexter. So good. I'm working on, well, we got to like, Alex and I were watching it a second time through, but then we got to a really sad part and I just couldn't watch it anymore. Oh, you you probably know exactly that. what I'm talking yeah. about, but um, it's, you just fall in love with his character, like mm-hmm. regardless that he's a- Killer. (laughs) (laughs) My third binge worthy show is a new one. It's a limited series on Netflix um, called The Queen's Gambit. Okay, so I've heard about this. Rachel. We Alex and I watched it in literally three days. It's so good. I can't even we also play chess now. Surprise Uh, because (laughs) literally it's so funny because I'll look over. And he'll just be, what he watches these chess YouTube videos all the time now. And we play chess and we're super into it. It's the most incredible show. Again, her character is fantastic. I can't even explain how wonderful this show is. It'll make you laugh and cry and be a little scared. Like it makes you feel all the feelings. Yay. It's wonderful. It's okay. over too soon though, is my only complaint.
0: I, yeah, I get that. I'm excited about that because I can add it to my list. Yes. Yeah. I'm shocked you didn't say Gossip Girl. You know, I thought about it,
1: but I'm trying to be more mature. You're right. Okay. (laughs) And not have people think that I'm a (laughs) 15-year-old. I didn't mean to rat you out. (laughs) No, it's okay. Um, Rachel, again, knows me from living with me, but I can also quote Gossip Girl episodes. Yeah. It's a sickness, but I'm also obsessed with that. It's a good problem.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm going to do three also. Um, Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Of course. Um, I'm rewatching all of it again, and Are you? I've never watched it. Can you believe that? I know. I don't but know
1: why. I know. I need to. It's need good.
0: To. Um, it's a rabbit hole, though. There's 17 seasons, well, and it's like a
1: big commitment. Every time I think I'm going to, I get freaked out by the fact that there's so many episodes.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a commitment. Okay. Um, next binge worthy. I have to remember the word binge. Um, Game of Thrones. Oh, of course. Yeah. And then, so one more, oh my gosh, it's hard. Um, okay. So this is a new show that Nick and I watch. It's also on Netflix. It's called In the Dark. Claire, have you heard of this? No, but is it weird that I was just in the dark. I know that was (laughs) weird when I said it. I was Um, moving my computer to a different room. So the reason why it's called in the dark is the main character is blind and I'll just kind of leave it at that because if I even start to dive into it, I'll spiral. There's only
1: Netflix. Did you see Netflix?
0: Yeah. It was on CW. I don't know if it still is or what, but um, there's only been two seasons so far, but another one's coming out and it's really good. Nice.
1: I'll have to add that to my list also.
0: I feel like we could do a whole episode of shows that we enjoy watching. If you want us to, we can. We'll tie that into speech somehow. Let us know. Right. (laughs) Um, All right, guys. I think that wraps up this episode, this Q&A fun episode. Um, We will definitely do more of the favorites because that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, Thank you guys again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at Super Sweet Speech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speech issupersweet at gmail.com. You can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. Don't forget to check out our website, which is let's talk about speech.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you can rate, review, and subscribe
1: to us. We would love that. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, kindly speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please let me know kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast. Let's talk about speechpodcasts at gmail.com. Email us with questions or suggestions, or if you or someone you know wants to be on our podcast, we would love to talk with you. As always, thank you for listening. Bye, guys.